You're listening to Better Fishing with Two Bald Biologists, sponsored by the North Carolina Wildlife Resources Commission. I'm Corey Oakley, the Assistant Chief of Fisheries Management for the Inland Fisheries Division. And I'm Ben Ricks, Coastal Region Fisheries Supervisor. We are fisheries biologists who are avid anglers. We want to link the work we do as biologists to your fishing. Our goal in this podcast is to use the information we have as an agency to help you catch more fish and learn about our state's great aquatic natural resources. Okay, guys, we are here. This is an exciting time. We're at the uh, Red Crest Major League Fishing Event, and right now we're talking to Wesley Strader. Why don't you introduce yourself a little bit? Yeah, hey, I'm Wesley Strader. I'm from uh, Spring City, Tennessee, uh, right near Lake Chickamauga. Probably everybody's heard of Lake Chickamauga, but born and raised there for all my life. Grew up on the Tennessee River. That's a great place to fish. Yeah, the good Lord's blessed me with the, the ability to be able to make a living catching green bass or brown ones or whatever color bass they are. I've, it's been blessed, and here I am on your podcast show. <laughs> That's great. That's great. Well, we're happy to have happy you. Happy to have you. I've got five or six questions about fish, if you have a little time. I've got five or six answers. Good, good. <laughs> and then we're also going to give you a chance to talk to us as well, or ask a biologist moment, if you will. I'm a cesspool of useless knowledge. Well, then you're in the right group. You have found the right place. That's yes, right. I have yeah. found a home, right? That's right. Okay. This is going to work Perfect. out well. You're Perfect. playing right into our plans. Perfect. So let's just start out of the gate. What are some of the issues that you think pose the largest threats to bass fishing? Well, years ago, I would say not really much. But since COVID, we have a lot more people that are enjoying the outdoors now. After COVID, you know, everybody couldn't get out doing I think what we're doing as a tournament organization is catching the fish, weighing them, and releasing them right where they were caught at is a huge benefit. We don't haul them around in a live well, and whether you like it or not, I've fished for a living for 23 years now, and I know the facts that, you know, we do kill some fish, to, what's it called, delayed mortality, Sure. like after they come off the spawn. You know, just over the years, I think this is a better way of conservation treating the resources like it needs to be treated so it's a renewable resource that everyone can enjoy from generation after generation the way we're doing it now. I know it's not your old school way of bass fishing, but for years I've always felt bad about catching a bass and hauling him 60 miles away from his home and and releasing him somewhere he hadn't been. And the other thing is, dude, it used to make me so sick when I'd grab a fish and he'd have a cull hole in his lower jaw where we'd put a cull pin in. It just really bothered me as just as a, a fisherman and enjoying fish and just trying to protect the resource. It always made me feel bad. So I like how, you know, a lot of people went to the no puncture coal tags, you know, less harm to the fish. Right. So I think it's one of the things is just taking care of what we have. That's the main thing, you know, just for other people to enjoy it, not just us as professional bass fishermen, but the whole general public. Right. And that's been a theme. We've heard that from multiple guys yeah. today. Yeah. Especially, you know, again, the warmer the water temperature, easier these fish are stressed out. And if you're wanting to do catch and release, the sooner you can release, the better off that fish will be. Absolutely. So, you know, it's taken me a long time to figure that out. But just like I said, during COVID, we didn't have as many people fishing in there. Post-COVID, I mean, golly, boom, you go to the boat ramp, you couldn't get a parking spot for like a year. It's like every day. <laughs> yeah. I'm like, what is going on? And it I, was packed. You have saw sure. the fishing decline. Which is more pressure. It's just more pressure. And it's like with deer hunting or anything. I mean, you take a good deer hunting area and you start putting all these hunters in it. Well, the deer hunting starts getting slowly worse because they become nocturnal. It's not because they're not there. They just become nocturnal and you don't see them. So it's the same way with fish. Whether you like it or not, a fish knows you're there. 
he doesn't have ears. He feels vibrations. So he knows you're there, whether you know he's no, that you're trying to be sneaky or not. He knows you're there. That's right. That's right. That's definitely something that, that I think, you know, we want people to fish. Obviously, this is what we love. We got to sell license, boys. We got we got <laughs> Yeah, I know. I get it. I mean, you got a job because we sell license, and I like to fish, and I don't mind paying you to look after the resources and take care of the Take care of the resources. Humans are the stewards of the resource. I would say, like you enforce the laws and and make suggestions on krill uh, size limits and, and all that. And that you guys do all the research and all that on that. So uh, I don't mind paying for my license for you to have a job to take care of the resources better than I can. Right. Well, I got to say one thing real quick. Uh oh. Uh-oh. We just got a Ewan's. My wife is Ewan's yeah, people. Listen, Ewan's, I got stopped in class while I was doing a speech one time or doing a seminar in a school, and the teacher stopped me. I don't saying, even know why Ben's talking about Ewan's, because we oh. got things that we say. That oh. She said, she said you're going to stop right where you're at. I said, why? She said, you're going to have to explain what Ewan's is to these kids. I said, I'm not making fun. Everybody. I'm, I'm respecting. You're respecting the Ewan's. I respect some Ewan's, because yeah. that's my wife for Ewan's people. Well, ain't nothing wrong with Ewan's and y'all's and is what it is. That's what makes us who we are. That's right. It's great. So I'm pointing it out as this is cool, not as a... So we talked a little bit about what you thought was concerning to bass fishing, but what do you think some of the best things that are happening in bass fishing now? The things that I see, like where I'm from, like Lake Chickamauga, I watched Lake Chickamauga go from being probably one of the worst places you'd ever fish to being like one of the greatest places you ever fish with them doing the Florida strands, introducing the F1s and all that. And I mean, we just watched the lake explode. It was kind of a combination of things. Like we had the grass to come back and mm-hmm. and the fish, you know. I mean, you can correct me if I'm wrong, but I really believe that fish, if they can survive the predation, which grass helps the bass reach its adulthood to keep from being eaten as a juvenile sure and uh i think that's what grass puts a lot of oxygen in the water plus it has a lot of cover for them to survive so that's what happened at our house the grass came back the stocking program it all kind of collided at the same time and perfect storm helped yeah, out yeah and all of a sudden we're catching four and five pound bass like it was nothing to catch a four or five and then everybody's mm-hmm. catching then you watched it progress like everybody's catching tens and next year's everybody's catching 11s and it goes to 12s and then 13s and now you're mixing in some 14s, and then the state record gets caught at Chickamauga. Mm-hmm. It's a 1596, I think it was. Yeah. So big fish. But now it's kind of went back the other way. It's, yeah, we've had a lot of tournaments, a lot of pressure. It's not that the fish aren't in there. It's just you got that pressure now, and the fishing's kind of yeah not as good as it used to be, but still good. Yeah, and you see that with populations, yeah. they kind of ebb and flow, yeah. even. Naturally, even if nothing else was done, you definitely see that. Yeah, in all you, kinds you'll of get high water spawn. You'll see like two or three years later, hey, we got this big explosion. And everybody's catching two and three pound bass, and the lake's healthy. And you got to look back two, three years prior to that, what was going on? So yep. we see that in a lot of fisheries, different water levels at different yep. times of the year. Yeah, make huge differences in population. Yeah. So when you're at a lake and you're like, this lake sucks. Well, you can't just. I try to tell everybody at the house like, watch bars in like a downtrend right now. I said. Lakes go through phases where they go up, down, up, down, up, down. I said, we're on a downtrend right now. I said, give it three or four years. It'll be right back where it was at. It's just, it's just in one of those downtrends. Yeah. Don't panic. Don't. Everything goes through cycles. Yeah, it goes through a cycle. Yeah, that's right. So what are some of the best things that you think is happening in the sport of bass fishing right now? Well, I'll tell you what. 
not the best thing is I'm sitting here talking to you and I'm not fishing. We out hate there. that. That's well, awful. Well, but we're glad to sorry. have you. No, but I we mean, hate just, it. it's just the whole the youth movement, the college, yeah. you know, youth. I mean, the high school. I mean, I said it on stage a minute ago. I said, man, if I'd had college fishing and scholarships when I'd have went to college, I probably would have got a PhD or something or a degree. I would have <laughs> stayed in longer. <laughs> That's how much I love bass fishing. That's all I just eat, sleep bass fishing. So it would have helped me a lot further in my educational career. I can tell you that. So, uh, I think it's one of the great things, just getting the youth involved and, you know, you got kids getting scholarships to college scholarships and it's crazy. Yeah, it's nuts. It's expensive, but it's crazy. Oh, yeah. yeah, and it's come a long way and just in the, like the last five to ten years, how much it's grown. My buddy is the one that actually started the college fishing deal. Oh, wow. My best friend, and he's from Indiana, Shad Skank, he was going to college at Purdue. They had the first collegiate bass fishing team fished against another college. Yeah. Oh, that's cool. What do you think is the best thing that's happening in fishing right now? What do you guys oh, think? That's a good question. That's a good question. I think in North Carolina, North Carolina is riding a pretty good high. We've got some pretty strong bass fisheries across mm-hmm. the state. In the coast where I'm at, it's been a number of years since we've had a hurricane and a mm-hmm. hurricane-associated fish kill. And so the best thing we're seeing right now is really big bass in our coastal rivers. And because it's been relatively stable, we've got strong growth rates, fast growing fish. We're seeing five, six, seven, nine pound bass. Last year we got a 12 pounder and in a coastal river, that's good stuff. Yes, it is. It's very encouraging to see that kind of thing. So I think, I mean, there's a lot of good stuff going on and the amount of youth that's getting involved in bass fishing is obviously a big nod to everything that's going on to do that too. But I would add one more thing. I think we as fish managers, meaning biologists mm-hmm. and anglers, are talking more to each other. Absolutely. Sharing information. Sharing information. That kind of trends into what, you know, like Gary Klein has started this thing where they, you know, they're taking samples of seven pounds, taking a DNA yep. sample of every bass over seven pounds. Plus, they're collecting all the data of every fish we catch, they weigh it, and they take that data down, and that's available to every state. Yeah. That major league fishing, all that data is. And we're using that. Yeah. You know, we'll get this from Lake Norman, mm-hmm. all the fish that are caught here. Yeah. Side note, you're not going to get much from me on that one. <laughs> <laughs> well, Gary and Stephen, you know, Stephen Barden, we've talked a lot. And so we're definitely cooperating with them. I think that's one of the good things that hasn't maybe occurred as much, you mm-hmm. know, 20, 30 years ago. No, no. Yeah. And the more knowledge, I mean, you share that, the better off it is for everyone. You know yeah. I mean? You can see what works, what doesn't work. I mean, you guys are biologists, so you know a lot more than I do. I just, you know, I might not have a biology degree, but I'm out there every single day, and I've seen what works, what doesn't work. I've seen... And you may have stayed at a Holiday Inn Express. Yeah, I did that once. <laughs> so, you know what I'm saying? Uh, you do see a lot. I mean, I'm more of a hands-on guy, you know what I mean? I'm not saying... No. You know what I mean. You definitely see stuff. And we tell that to anglers all the time. It's like, you can't possibly be, you know, I can't possibly be everywhere all the time. So if you're seeing something that I think I need to see, please show it to me. Yeah, that's right. I know you fished all over, but uh, what's your favorite lake in North Carolina? Oh, I'm hands down Jordan. I hear you. Multiple votes for Jordan today. Well, uh, I'm going to say those fish in Jordan are built Different than any fish I have ever caught in my life. I mean, in, during the event, I caught eight, two sevens, a six, and man, them fish wasn't long, but boy, they sure look like Santa Claus. They footballs. as big as footballs. I'm they telling you. footballs there. That's good management right there. Yeah. <laughs> and I caught an eight, a seven, and two sixes. It'd be my favorite place too, I believe. 
Now, on hindsight, we went to Falls the very next for the next round, and it wasn't very good to me, but I really <laughs> like Jordan. Yeah, I gotcha. No, that's interesting. I would have said Kerr Lake, but Kerr is not the Kerr that it used to be. They don't leave the water up in the bushes like they used to. So, gotcha. So, it used to be hands down the greatest flipping lake I've ever been to mm. in my life. So, I can appreciate that. Bugs yeah. Island. Yeah, yeah. I waited 29 pound stringer in on Bugs Island one time. Almost won a boat. So, took 72 pounds to win that event, by the way. My Ooh. heavens. How can we work together? So we talked a little bit about that, but you got any ideas on how we work together to make things better? No, you know, just what y'all are doing, like these things like this, you know, we're communicating back and forth between the organizations, whether it be us or somebody else. And I always give my input. You know, if you ask me a question, I'm saying, hey, here's yeah. what I think is going on. You're a biologist. You probably know better than I do, but. Just stuff like this, being able to talk things out and say, hey, you know, here's what's going on out here and what's the deal? Why is this happening? Sure. Sure. So do you have questions for us? We got one last question, but do you have questions for us thinking about North Carolina? Yeah, let's see. Any questions for the North Carolina biology department? Now, you're doing a pretty good job. Oh, yeah, I do have a question. Is there ever going to be grass in Lake Norman? I've heard some few stories about maybe some... So the story behind that is we've tried multiple times. Mm -hmm. It is a difficult place to get vegetation to grow. One, you got so many homeowners. And so what you have to do is you have to try to establish in places that there aren't homeowners. And you fished it this week, so you know how that goes, right? And here's the deal. When you establish it in places that don't have homeowners, it makes its way to places it shouldn't go. That's yeah. the whole, you know... And that's part of it, too. But we have tried establishing vegetation here. The biggest thing Shoreline is... Shoreline vegetation or submerged vegetation? Both. Both. And the biggest issue we have is that there is so much boat traffic that we cannot get it to establish itself. Because it rips it up from the boat. It rips it up before we can ever get it to establish. We've tried it multiple times. We tried it 20 years ago. We tried it 10 years ago. We've tried it recently. It just... We can never... One, there's soil type issues. It's really heavy clay which makes it pretty difficult to get it started. It's just really the wave action alone, it's hard to protect it. Like you would think, you know, like think you go up in the back of Mountain Creek or you go up mm -hmm. in the back of Stumpy Creek or places like that and maybe get away from some of that. But there's so much wave activity even in those places that makes it very difficult. You know, I've been all over the country and uh, the only place that I've ever been in like say the Carolinas that actually grew grass was Bugs Island. Yes. And it's got... The bad word, hydrilla. <laughs> yeah. yeah. It's a great thing for bass, but everybody does Everybody, like, else everybody hates, it. hates hydrilla, but that's the only place I've ever seen grass like growing. Yeah. In red clay. So in, in North Carolina now, yeah, you got Bugs Island, Car Lake, but now Gaston has a lot of vegetation in it now. Mm -hmm. I've never fished Gaston. We're so. working on trying to put it in some of the Triangle Lakes. We actually have a program where we actually have a greenhouse, and that's all we do is grow aquatic vegetation or we're working towards a greenhouse but we got like lots of things outside that we're doing as well and so we have a whole program and it's habitat it's basically reestablishing habitat in reservoirs because if you think about reservoirs what they did they went in in a lot of places they just cut every tree got all the topsoil out of it made it a bathtub and then filled it with water and so we're trying to overcome that and put habitat back in shoreline habitat these older lakes need help yeah oh yeah 
when they're new and good, they're like, oh man, these lakes yeah. are great. And then they kind of go yeah. through a phase where like, that's right. Reservoirs age and that mm -hmm. has a lot to do with it. And so we're, I'm looking for that rejuvenation for myself as well. Yeah. yeah. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. They don't sell that as much. <laughs> and found that elixir yet. But in North Carolina, we do have a program. We currently are doing about eight to 10 reservoirs across the state. So the insight put like, I've seen a lot of places where they put like wire baskets out where. Yeah, we've done some of that. Yeah. So what you really have to overcome is you have to overcome predation. So turtles yes. in particular. Grass carp. Grass carp, if they're there, they're yeah. not everywhere, but grass carp, if they're there. But really turtles are like, especially the stuff that bass really like, like uh -huh. submersed, like hydrilla would yeah. be, or pond weeds or eel grass. Terrapins love those, oh, right? Oh, man, they, just... they crush it. So what you have to do is it's kind of like stocking fish. You have to stock enough of that vegetation to overcome that predation. So that's the whole point of the wire baskets is to protect that island long enough that it gets established. So on your stocking pro, you mentioned stocking. I heard that Jens had been putting some maybe F1s into Lake Norman. Or it's in its infancy. It's in its infancy. Yep. So do you just take those out in a boat and release them or do you just directly release them off a, a boat ramp? We or? currently have done it by boat. Okay. I really like that. I like that a lot better than just boat ramp. So the state of Virginia has done both. And they have seen really no difference between boat ramp stocking versus I tell you what I've going saw. in the back stock. This is where I've saw where they've dumped them out at the boat ramp. Hmm? You can come back the very next year, and that boat ramp in front of it will have hundreds of bass <laughs> up on top of the water. <laughs> I don't know if it's like a salmon well, thing or whatever. <laughs> it's the craziest thing you've ever seen. I'm just like, you go to that boat ramp, April the 20th or whatever day it was, they let them go. You go back the next year, and now they're the, they're bigger. <laughs> And it may depend on the lake, too. Yeah, exactly. I'm just saying, that's just what I saw. Yeah. I mean, some lakes may warrant a boat stocking, whereas other yeah. lakes, depending on how the ramps are set up, yep. maybe ramp stocking is a better decision. It really depends on ramp location. It depends on a lot of things. Because what we really want to do is we want to put them in habitats that they'll succeed in. Because they already got it tough enough. They're yeah. little tiny things, you know, out there swimming. So we just trying to get them like at home to do a little boat stocking where they could take them out to a flat where some grass was at and do it in May, not do it in like March. It takes a lot of effort to boat stock. I'm sure it does. Because you, you think about it, depending on the lake, like Lake Norman, we're stocking off the top of my head, I think it's close to 150,000 fish. Well, that's a lot of boat stocking if you oh, think yeah. about it. And they come all at once because yeah, they come on the truck all at once, so we're holding fish on the truck. So it's a lot of maneuvering. We got multiple boats happening, and I know an organization has some live release boats that probably work with you on that yeah, adventure if so. you wanted to. <laughs> probably so. Yeah, for sure. I had talked to Boyd on that one. <laughs> yeah, there you go. <laughs> all right, so we got one more question. We asked this of, the most of, difficult of, one, right? It's the most difficult one. It may be. Is this multiple choice or is it? It has been for some, and for others, it's been okay right off the bat. We've asked this of. Uh, fish biologist of everybody we do on the podcast and it's one of our favorite questions but if you have one lure what do you <laughs> think you'd choose i would used to i would say a zoom green pumpkin trick worm a green right. pumpkin trick worm works whether it's cold hot mild it works summer winter fall spring it's just proven sure it don't matter where you go green pumpkin zoom green pumpkin trick worm you can rig it on a shaky head a slip sinker Wacky, whatever. It's so versatile. Right. And we've heard that a lot. And like, bass love red worms, no matter where you go. That's right. No matter where you go. I used to have an aquarium when I was a kid and kept like two little bass in it. Mm -hmm. You could go in there and 
you could feed them every minute they wanted to eat, and they'd get to a point where like they'd be the extra menace. But I don't care how full they were, you could drop a red worm in there and they'd eat it every single time. Would never let it pass. There it is. There's just some science right there. That's interesting. Yeah. Well, this has been a lot of fun. Oh, yeah. It's hey, been a me blast. Me too. I really appreciate it. Where do I apply it? for a job at? Uh, ncwildlife.org. So it's kind of like a grandfathered in program, or do I really have to go back to college and get a degree? <laughs> I know you like talking to people. Maybe we can set them up as a krill clerk. Maybe so. Hey, listen, yeah. I would be the best krill clerk you ever had. I don't doubt uh, that. I don't doubt that you. at all. Promise you. I mean, we've had some good ones. But no, you never had one like me. Because I'd probably <laughs> help fishing to get on the krill clerk count. I guarantee that. I'd be the only guy in a ranger bass boat running around, you know, hey, but Yon's catch anything? No, Yun's. Yun. Hey, Yun. you can't even say it. Right. I mean, I Yun's catching anything right here because I'm about to come in there and help you out. <laughs> <laughs> I could find a lot of tournament locations like that. You see? Yeah. 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 Thinking for sure. Man, could I get like a nationwide grill clerk? We only do North Carolina. Carolina I can't. I don't know. Well, I could really yeah. help you out with some information across the country. Yeah. <laughs> We only work in one out of the 50 states. Oh, right. We'd have to get some sort of consortium People together for that. You just need to branch out. We probably do. We probably do. I think we just have. <laughs> oh, brother, where are thou? We you started out by branching out. We mass out. communicate, boys. We're mass communicate. We're on a podcast right here with North Carolina Wildlife Resource Commission. Yep. Yep. Your show just got a lot better. You know that, right? Pretty sure. Pretty sure it did. Yeah, pretty sure. That's right. And you're a big part of that. So oh, we well, thank you. Well, thank you. Thank you very much. Thanks so much for being hey, thanks here, Thanks for having me on here, because I really enjoyed this. Anytime. If you need me back anytime, I'll come. Sounds great. Good deal. Awesome. Thank you, guys. Keep up the good work, and if you ever need any more difficult questions to ask, you can just pick the phone up and call me. I'll solve them for you. Appreciate you. Thank you. All right, guys. We are back. We are backstage at the Major League Fishing Event Redcrest, and we're really thrilled right now. We got Andy Montgomery in front of us. We're going to talk a little bit about fish and fishing and just see where it goes. Why don't you introduce yourself? I appreciate it, guys. I'm Andy Montgomery. I'm from Blacksburg, South Carolina, but I live right on the North South Carolina line, so North Carolina is kind of home to me, too. Yeah, we're going to claim you here for a minute yeah, or two. Yeah, yeah, claim me here. I tell people, I guess I can say this on a podcast, but I tell people I live right on the line. So if I went outside and took a leak in the backyard and spun a 360, I'm taking a leak in both states <laughs> at the same time. <laughs> I like it. That's close. That's how close I actually killed a deer one time and he ran across the line. Then I had to figure out where I tagged the joke. Oh, wow. You do live <laughs> on the line. We're not going to talk about that. Yeah. yeah. <laughs> I was legal in every which way. It's like. Wait a minute, how does this do? Were you recovering or were you shooting or what happened? <laughs> That's here? close. That is very close yeah, for yeah, sure. Yeah. How long you been fishing on you've been on this tour since it started? Yes, sir. Okay. Yeah. And how long you been professional fishing? So I quit work in two thousand six. Okay. Yeah. I went to school at Clemson University, graduated in two thousand four, worked two years, and I was able to quit work and do this full time. So Okay, so did you go to Clemson as in like fisheries or no, did you do something else? No, I would have liked to have that degree, but no, I'm a civil engineer. Oh, so I got okay. a civil gotcha. engineering degree. Yeah. Oh, that's interesting. Yep. Good deal. Well, we'll just kick it off. What are some of the issues that you think pose the largest threat to bass fishing these days? The issues that pose the largest threat to bass fishing. Well, it's a good issue, but the pressure that our fisheries get put on them now is extreme. So, uh, it makes the fish harder to catch. Right. And I think some of the negativities on maybe the fisheries ain't as good as they used to be maybe stems from that, really. 
anglers are better. The technology is better. Just the sheer number of anglers is way more, which is great. Now, that's what we want. Sure. But, you know, we have limited resources for everybody to fish. So that's part of the challenge going forward. But it's going to be what it's going to be. You can get into the spotted bass debate on whether it's good or bad. Personally, they're fun to catch, but I think they need to be controlled, not eliminated, but maybe controlled. I don't think you can eliminate them anymore. You can't. No, you can't There's eliminate. There's no such thing. As, well, you know, that's one of the things we get all the time is can you get rid of the Alabama spots? And once they're introduced, you can't. The cat's out of the bag, so to speak. Yeah. And there's really no getting it back in the bag. You can manipulate it and control it yeah. through harvest and those kinds of things. Yep. But yeah, you're right. You can't put it back in the bag once it's out. Yeah. And it's just controlling. This is it's in the bag, but um, I like it. I call them crappy, but depending on where you go in the country, <laughs> socolades, specks, white perch, crappy, yeah. crappy, right. whatever you want to say, you right. know, we harvest a lot of them jokers. Yeah. A lot. Yeah. Over the years, especially in my grandpa's days. I mean, they caught limits every time they went. Yeah. And it mm-hmm. just made the fishing better. So, yeah. you know, I feel like spotted bass could be the same way. They're really good to eat now. They're really good they to eat. They are good to eat. And you, know, you get the stigmatism of, you know, not eating a bass or whatever, but spots are really good to eat. But I feel like they're similar to crappie is, you know, when we harvest them, we actually help them. Well, that's fish science in a really small nutshell. Yeah. That if you thin the herd, you allow the rest that are still there yeah. more resources to eat so they get bigger Yeah, over time. So that's the stigmatism I see, guys, you know, when the, spotted bass debate comes up and somebody talks about killing them or you're not killing them all you're helping them this and you know the mindset of you're eliminating them you're not eliminating them you're helping them yeah you think about lake norman you know it's like a cow pasture yeah you can only put so many cows in a pasture yeah and that's what lake norman is there's only so many spotted bass you can pile them in there pretty thick yeah but the thinner you got there's more grass for them spotted mm-hmm. bass to yeah, eat you know kind of thing and get exactly bigger right no different than a pond management all about controlling numbers that's exactly all right. about controlling numbers we yeah. have a lot of listeners that have emailed us about pond questions and i think i've told every single one of them i've talked to them about bass harvest in their pond yeah. so absolutely you know some of the numbers i was told is just insane what you're supposed to harvest to keep a good pond and I actually built a pond. I wanted to stock it with all female bass, but that's pretty expensive. It's you know? expensive, and it's it's like Jurassic Park. Somehow, nature always finds a way eventually. Yeah, 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 but you can slow the process that's down. Right. So, yeah, the Alabama spot challenge is there for sure on the, yeah. on the large amount side of things. And we got different baits in, our, in South Carolina. You got the heron, and then around here we got some alewives, and it's just non-native species prevent. They present challenges. They do. Yeah. We see the initial benefits of them, but I don't know that we always see the long-term challenges. That's exactly right, Andy. One of the things we tell people all the time is, please don't move fish. Yeah. You know, because moving fish creates its own problems, and whether it be river herring, which that includes bluebacks and alewives, they're in a group together, or white perch. I mean, white yeah. perch is another one that people have moved all over North Carolina and South Carolina, and Alabama bass. All these invasive fish. That initial wave seems really great. You probably can remember spotted bass at Norman when yeah. it first happened. Yeah, it was big. They, so. It was big. The fish were really good size. Yeah. There was a lot of four or five pounders being caught, that kind of thing. And then it just kind of, you know, yeah. nosedive. Well, that's exactly what happened with white perch. You know, white perch get introduced. They're real big for a short period of time. And then they just overpopulate and you get all these little white perch everywhere. Yeah. 
And that's kind of the take home of invasive fish. A lot of times that initial wave seems great. Yeah. Everybody's pumped like yeah. this is going to be great. And then 20, 30 years down the road, the crash comes in. And the thing about like about these Alabama spots that you're seeing at Lake Norman, they don't just stay at Lake Norman. They spread to all these other lakes. They're in every chain. They're all the way down. Now they're everywhere. Mm-hmm. And like when you get up in the mountainous regions of North Carolina and South Carolina and Georgia, you know, where their smallmouth bass are and are native, it's going to wipe out smallmouth. Like, yeah. they won't exist. I heard that it really put a hurting on the population at Lake James. Which oh, is yeah. A- it's really put a hurting. I mean, like, Lake Chatuk doesn't have smallmouth anymore. Fontana's almost there, and James is not far behind. So, like you said, once they're there, I know we promote, don't spread them. Please don't spread them. Then you got to deal with them once they're there. But the reality is... We're almost now to where they're everywhere, so then how to deal with that. And as biologists, we're learning that as we go because this is pretty new territory for us as biologists. You know, just like it's new territory for y'all. Yeah. You're having to adapt to the changes of of what's happening on the lake, just like we're having to do the same thing. And how to manage an invasive fish is pretty difficult. Yeah. One thing I see a lot of our lakes, the amount of forage, you know, particularly like shad type, Mm -hmm. there's still a ton of brim. The spots are brim eaters. Do not get me wrong. I'll catch a bunch of them around <laughs> mm-hmm. the bank on top water because mm-hmm. I know they're eating brim, but they sure. predominantly eat shad. Yeah. Yeah. So then we see the shad, especially on Lake Norman. I remember the heyday of when it was just not the heyday of fishing, but the heyday of of bait. And it was just insane. And that's what you're talking about that when the spots fish first got in here in the initial boom was because they had so much bait. So one of the challenges is how do we keep enough bait? In our lakes. It's very difficult when you got a ton of predators out there. You really can't stock your way out of it. Like a lot of people think, well, let's stock prey into, you know, forage base into the system. And you can if it gets extraordinarily low. But generally what we've seen is our return on investment in stocking prey is not very good. Yeah. And control the predators. It literally is a thinning of the herd. Because here's the thing. We can thin Alabama bass, right? Like people could take them home. But we got to be thin and white perch, too, at the same time. Yeah. There's other mouths that will take. Yeah, they'll take up that spot. Take up that spot. They'll take up that steak. (laughs) Yeah, that's right. They'll be like, oh, you thinned out Alabama bass. That's great. Thank you. Appreciate that. They're going away, you know, kind of thing. So you have to kind of, it's all together. Yeah. And every fisherman's got to work towards it kind of thing. Yeah, but we got to be real careful not to say they're going away because they never will. Oh, no. No, no. It's just we're helping them. I think that's a lot of the confusion is. People think they're trying to be eliminated, and it's not going to be eliminated. No. It's going to be made better. Well, I tell people all the time, because we get this question a lot, Andy. I mean, you live in the area no, locally. Yeah, it's a big debate. It's a big, huge debate. And people think because I'm a biologist, I'm lying to them, which is, that's fine. I, I get that. <laughs> and it may be that I'm lying to them. Who knows? I mean, he's not lying. We try to collect data to support what we're doing. I try to tell people, would you rather catch two-pound spotted bass? Or four-pound spotted bass. Exactly. And I think the answer to that is four-pound spotted bass. I think it is. Yeah. Now, there'll be less of them, but it's not going to be like less of them like you'll never be able to find them. Exactly. That's not the point. Yeah. It'll just be, you might not catch one on every cast when you're in a school level, yeah, you know, yeah. kind of thing. You know, the school might be just a touch thinner. But the two-pounders go to one-pounders before yeah. you know it. Yeah, so. and that's right. If you don't collect them, the two-pounders do go to one-pounders. And so... That is definitely it. I mean, if people can just think of them that they're herded together and that if you can thin the herd down, you're not getting rid of them because you can't. That's right. You're making it better. You're making it better over a period of time and you're making those fish bigger. Yeah. 
Just liking it to a crappy, man. Yeah. Gosh, we harvested yeah, well, insane amount of crappies, and it made it better. So if you look at crappy populations in North Carolina, I can't speak for other states, but in North Carolina, generally crappy harvest, being correct me if I'm wrong, in reservoirs is somewhere in that 65 to 80% annually. Meaning? The population is harvested, like 60 to 80% oh, yeah, yeah. that are available to be harvested yeah, yeah. are getting harvested, and it doesn't hurt them. Yeah. Like they have the ability to reproduce. Now, every once in a while, you can hurt it, and we have to regulate it. But in general, you don't. They kind of self-regulate themselves. And if you harvest it out, those fish come right back. Yep. And all these fish are such short-lived fish. They don't live very long. Like a spotted bass probably doesn't live more in North Carolina. Probably doesn't live in Norman in particular. Probably doesn't live more than five, ten years. Yeah. You know. Yeah. And crappy are the same way. They don't live more than five, ten years. Yeah, yeah, yeah. And so it's a very short lifespan. Yeah. And so they're almost like they're used to being harvested, yeah, if that yeah. makes any sense, you know, kind of thing. And yep. so harvesting is not going to get rid of them. It's actually a good thing. Makes it better. It's going to make it better over a period of time. It takes time. Yeah. It does. It takes time. You can't do it overnight, especially once it's been overpopulated like it is here at Norman. It's going to take some time to get to that point. But once we get to that point, you know, we might be able to produce three, four, five-pound spotted bass. That's when you might be able to stock the forage. That's right. And we may get a window where we can stock stuff like that. So, Or naturally. Or naturally, the forage does it on its own. Yeah, that's right. I mean, a shad spawn's insane what it can produce every year. When you take the pressure off of something, you'd be surprised what happens. Oh, yeah. One successful shad spawn is probably more than if we shut down all of our hatcheries and just grew shad. And just grew shad. That's true. That's right. Nature in general, particularly when it comes to stocking the animals, nature in general does a better job than we can. Yeah, yeah. On the shad, that's for sure. <laughs> I see that for sure. Yeah. So let's switch gears. What are some of the best things that are going on right now in bass the fishing? The best things going on in bass fishing is what I done mentioned on the flip side was the number of people fishing. Yeah. It comes with its challenges, but the benefits outweigh the challenges by far. By far. It just puts more money in our industry, which in turn gives y'all guys more of a budget to do y'all's job, hopefully. It does. It, it all works together. It all comes full circle. So the best thing about bass fishing right now is the number of people fishing. The high school, the college fishing. Yeah. Those kids getting yeah. full rides. <laughs> I mean, they didn't have that when we were young. <laughs> no, they're getting full rides now. They get out on Fridays to go practice. They do all that. And it's a really good thing. These high school and college, I mean, these, well, I'm just going to say the high school, because college is big too now, but on the high school side of things, it's insane the number of boats. It is. I got a call just last week about another high school that's starting a program yep. up. And and I'm glad you brought that up because you did talk about the pressure that kind of comes with that. While it's nothing but a benefit for bass, largemouth bass, to be popular, yeah. you know, because it gets it out there. The technology is amazing. But, yeah, with all this pressure, some of our old tricks aren't going to work the way they used to. Yeah. And the first point around the bend from the boat ramp may not hold the same number of fish that yeah. it did a few years ago. Yeah. So it's not necessarily that the populations have drastically changed as much as it's some of our tricks as anglers yeah. need to evolve Yeah, with they got to evolve know? with the pressured fisheries. That's I mean, right. So the pressured fishery is a challenge, and it's, we were going to have to evolve quicker. I think evolve quicker. But I still say the number of people fishing far outweighs that benefit oh, is yeah. way better. The benefit weighs just because of the amount of money it can 
it can kind of stimulate the fisheries and let you guys do what y'all need to do to maybe get these fisheries where they can handle the pressure. And, you know, if it's a revolving door, a revolving circle, circle of life involving money because more people's in here, maybe it makes everything better. Sure. Sure. So th this is an easy one. Maybe. Maybe. Well, <laughs> maybe. It has been tricky for some been of the guys. tricky for some of yeah. the other guys. Here we we'll go. see. But uh, what is your favorite lake in North Carolina? My favorite lake in North Carolina? Well, it was Lake Norman until this week. <laughs> but I enjoy Norman. You get a lot of bites. My favorite lake in North Carolina, I'm going to go with Wiley, but it sits on the border. Yep. Just because it's got a special place in my heart. Sure. Not that it's the best. I mean, you think about the Raleigh Lakes, you know, the Falls and the Jordan. I don't get to fish them a lot, but they're incredible, mm -hmm. obviously. But Wiley took a downturn. It's on a big rebound. It's got the spotted bass in it, too, so we got the same challenges. But it's not fishing like it did in the heyday, but it's fishing pretty good now. Yeah. It's fishing pretty good. That goes back to another challenge more that I've seen it on Wiley. And I used to work in the engineering side of things, building roads and bridges. And, and off-colored water is good for bass. Mm-hmm. It just is. It grows fish. Well, guess what? We're doing everything we can to make them crystal clear. So it's another challenge. Yeah. And it definitely makes the fish respond differently, you too. You think? And this is like, you know, we just round the numbers. It's almost like you build a $2 million bridge. You spend $1 million making sure a speck of dirt don't get in the lake. Yeah. And silt's bad. I mean, you go to the back of Wiley, and where I used to catch fish is dry land now. Mm -hmm. On the flip side of that, when that sucker stayed dirty, man, them fish grew big. I mean, they just did. Yeah. So I guess everything has its benefits and challenges, True. you know, but yeah. these lakes have grown up so much. Right. There's so much riprap. There's so much, there's so much control, you know, on what goes in the lake. And then when you get there, you got the riprap, the seawalls everywhere. So the habitat, yeah. that filters the water out so much. Yeah. It's changed a lot. You know, you think about, just take Norman, for example, you think back to Norman in the seventies, which I wasn't around. It was a lot more agricultural around it. The agriculture, the fertilizer yeah, was kind of leaking in the water. There was more nutrient flow into the lake at That's the time. That's right. The water have a little green tint from somebody putting fertilizer on and the grass. even then, it wasn't super productive because, I mean, Norman doesn't have a huge watershed. Yeah. It is a big lake. Yeah. But it doesn't have a lot of feeder streams, and the river above it is dammed up so many times that a lot of nutrients fall out before it ever gets yeah, to Norman. it gets filtered out. But you're right. As we've seen houses built and roads have gotten better and how they're managed and that kind of stuff, we see less productivity in the lake, which means we don't grow fish quite as big as no. we once did. And, and the reservoir ages, too, which there's a whole other issue with that. Yeah. Y'all made speak on this better than me, but I think actually the dirty water and the algae and the amount of laydowns, it's hard to find a laydown to flip anymore, but the amount of cover that was in the water actually helps the bait fish thrive more than the actual bass, which in turn makes the bass thrive. So dirty water is nutrient-rich water. Correct. Which means that's the base of the food chain. Now, you can go overboard and have too dirty a water, and yeah. so to speak, that you have this massive nutrient load that you can't handle, like Jordan down in Raleigh kind of teeters on that yeah. edge of having too much nutrients. You actually can have that and cause fish problems on another end of the spectrum. But Jordan, because it is nutrient-rich, grows really big fish, That's as you've right. seen, yeah. as you've witnessed. And so, you're right. Dirty water brings that nutrients into the system. That's why Wiley, forever and a day, that South Fork of the Catawba yeah. River was so important yeah. to the fishery because yeah. if it wasn't, it would be just like 
look Lake Norman yeah. and Mountain Island. Yeah. But Mountain Island literally is a desert. Yeah, yeah. As far as I mean, there's yeah. fish in there. I'm not saying there's not fish in dogs. It's not getting a lot of nutrients but it into is it. Getting probably of the Catawba Basin, it's probably getting the least amount of nutrients. But you're right, because the South Fork and then when if, the South Fork comes in, yeah. it brings that nutrient load into Wiley, and so you get better nutrients and more growth. Yeah. But as we've gotten better at cleaning up our water, you're right. I mean, as we've gotten better as a nation, yeah. the Clean Water Act and all those kinds of things, there is less nutrients, potentially less nutrients coming into the system. Yep. And therefore, you have a smaller base of your food chain. Yep. And so you have to adapt that. We as biological managers have to adapt to that. Fishermen have to adapt to that yeah. too. You know, yeah. it's just part of it. You just adapt. The older you get, you adapt in everything in or life. Or either you get passed by. That's what's going to happen. That's true. <laughs> That's true. So how can bass anglers like yourself work with biologists and resource managers to make things better? Well, I mean, obviously spread the word one thing. Yeah, I mean, we're out on the forefront of things. But we <laughs> we got to be careful what we do and say. You know, even the spotted bass, man, you can get a lot of hate. We represent a lot of companies, so you got to try to make neutral on things. But even the spotted bass thing, that's one thing that kind of makes me cringe when people don't want to harvest any because I just, it's not eliminating them, man. It's going to make them better. So help spreading that word. Yeah, you can get a bullseye on your back for sure yeah, when you and say stuff thing like is that. We just, I feel like we don't need to bash our fishery. They're not what they used to be, but. But guess what? It comes with the benefits of all the high school and college fishermen. And, you know, there's just benefits to it. So just trying to be positive about the future is probably the best way we can, you know, help. And trust you guys, you know, all bass fishermen think they know more than y'all. Well, and some of them may. They, well, they may. But and I think that's important for us. And we've talked about this multiple times with other guys. And that's what we're trying to do through this podcast is yeah. be approachable. Tell folks what we know. Try to link it to fishing yeah. so that we can have a dialogue, a better dialogue. Dialogue, with there's the word. Yeah. Fortunately, the world we live in right now is like, you're right and I'm wrong. <laughs> yeah. It is totally okay to have two different opinions two different between opinions two different people. And 90% of the time, the best solution lies, I ain't going to say in the middle, but it, it teeters somewhere between this guy and that guy. The right. best solution teeters yeah. between, oh, yeah. between them. So You know, it's like, Every story or every incident that anybody's ever had, there's this side and that side, and then the truth is somewhere in that middle. Somewhere in the middle. Know? Somewhere in the middle. So You know, I think one of the things that we've tried with the podcast and we've done here meeting different anglers and different yeah. people that are involved is we're all in this together. That's right. It's not one side against the other. We're together in this. Yeah. It's conservation together. You depend on fisheries yeah. to have a job you and have too. a business, and I depend on fisheries to have a job and That's have a right. business. And at the end of the day, it's not necessarily about having a job. It's about what we want the future to look like exactly. for the people that are coming behind us. But it's us. not us against y'all or none of that. And sometimes right. you get into it, you got to work together. And like you said, it's a benefit to everybody. Yeah. You want the suckers to be just as good as I do. Absolutely. I, I like do. catching fish. Exactly. Myself. I like catching big fish. You like catching fish, and then when you pull up, you know, when you go to work on Monday mornings, you want to uh, be proud. You know That's what right. I mean? That's right. And I'm sometimes thinking about catching fish while I'm at work. <laughs> yeah. Duly <Yep>. noted. <laughs> <laughs> Duly noted. Duly noted. So, yeah, we just got to work together. That's how the fishermen. I sit in my office in Raleigh a lot looking out the window going, man, I could be fishing. Fishing today. That's right. That's right. Just work together. I guess that's the benefit. I want to be Andy Montgomery today. <laughs> <laughs> 
let's not be us versus them. We That's got our, right. We all want the same thing. That's it. Bass fishermen, fishermen in general, biologists, they all want the same thing. That's right. We do. And I think when I talk to bass clubs, they want things to be better. I clearly want things to be better. I've developed a whole career on trying to, to make yeah. things better for fishing. And I think having that dialogue, talking back and forth, understanding the bass fishermen's concern and them listening to us and understanding, you know, there's things that we can do and things that we can't do and reasons yeah. why we do certain yeah. things versus That's right. something somewhere else, yeah. you know. But yeah, I think being open to those discussions are hugely important. Yeah. So, yeah. Well, do you have any questions for us? I guess got one. That's Uh-oh. great. Here it comes. I'm ready. I'm holding He's on. Smiling guys, kind of Cheshire cat grin. Yeah. I don't know what Large this means. Largemouth bass virus on the Catawba chain. Y'all seen any signs of that the last four years? Not to my knowledge, and I can only speak on the North Carolina side of the Catawba River. Yeah. I have not seen that to my knowledge. We've had it in the past. So, for those that don't know out there in listener land about what largemouth bass virus is. It's a virus that attacks largemouth. It can hurt the population. Fish will die from it. You'll see the population decline over a period of time. They don't float, though, do they? They can. We have seen them float from largemouth bass virus. We've had reports of that. Most time, you just don't even know what happened. Usually, it's years down the road that you see it in the data that something's happened to the largemouth. Yet, you usually don't catch it right when it's happening. It's usually after it's on done and gone so generally why it happens is one the virus is in the lake and largemouth bass virus is pretty much almost everywhere in north carolina there's only a few places that it doesn't exist at this point yeah but it really only hurts fish when there's high densities of bass Mm -hmm. and those high densities of bass they get close together to get near one another and they spread it to to each other and and it kills them off basically we had a pretty good kill on Bugs Island, probably, whoo, that's probably 10 or 15 years ago. Yeah, I remember that. Yeah. At the same time, the weights of the catfish exploded there, correct? <laughs> probably, yes. For a lot of different reasons. Yeah, for a lot of different reasons. It's not just large, but they could have been eating dead bass. I'm not going to yeah. say that they weren't. But the biggest thing is generally the population will recover. Correct. But once it's in the system, it's always in the system. Yep. There's not like... We can't go out and like spread something on the water and get rid of the virus. The virus is just there once it's there. And pretty much, for the most part, we don't really have huge issues with it in North Carolina, at least not to our knowledge. Because it's kind of like that sleeping thing that you don't really know about until it happens, and then you're like, oh, something happened. We've tested for it across the state. That's my next question, how you test for it. We've tested for it, and for the most part, it's pretty much in just about every population we have. It's very possible that it could flare up again. Yes, and it could flare up at any point in time. You just yeah. don't know when that's going to occur. Yeah. And it's generally density dependent. Yeah. So my question is, is there a place where you think that maybe this could be a concern? I mean, yeah, it's obviously... I didn't know if you to talk about that on there. <laughs> I felt like I was being set up the whole time. Did you feel that way, Ben? Let's give the man what he wants, you know? I feel like it happened on the Catawba chain. I really okay. do. On, like, up and down the Catawba yes, chain? Sir. Okay. So Lake Hickory was an incredible lake. It was the first lake to fall. It was the first lake to fall. Give me a time frame. Now, you're going to make me think back four or five years, but it was the first lake to fall. And then the next was coming on down the chain road. It just came down the chain. But it got hit in Norman because of spotted bass. I don't think spotted bass are affected by it, correct? Or am I wrong? 
I don't know the answer to that off yeah. the top of my and head. And I'm basing a lot of this off the research I did at Kerr and then also on Douglas Lake in Tennessee, which confirmed to have it. And it came back to be one of the best lakes. Oh, yeah. They generally recover. Yeah. It went, it's going through it again now. It's on its way back. It got hid. So it took 20 plus to win every tournament at Hickory. Wiley was still taking that. Then Wiley, choom, down. And then Watery was next. So it went all the way down the chain, but at the same time, I seen a catfish explosion to where these guys is catching 40 pounders in Wiley all of a sudden, two years after the bass decline. Now, with that being said, there's nothing you can do about it. In my opinion, it just nature takes its course. It happened at Kerr, it happens at Douglas, and actually sometimes when they come back, they come back stronger. And I've noticed that Wiley, especially, they're coming back. So where last year guys was catching a lot of 15 and 16 inch fish to go with a big one to win mm -hmm. a tournament. Mm -hmm. Now they're catching a lot of two and a half. Same thing happened at Douglas. Same thing. And the next year, you know, they're catching a lot of threes and then a three and a half. So just outside looking in, I ain't got no data. I can't pull it. Sure. But just, well, we can go back and look at that. Uh, yeah. Watching it come down the chain and seeing the, something went down the system. Gotcha. I just don't know. I mean, it's something went down the system because they went from incredible big fish to all the way down to Watery. Watery was the last one. You know, they had a CBC down there right before it fell, and the weights was just incredible. And then the next year, you know, they fall. But the catfish explode at the same time. The lakes turn around, and here they come back. You know, I've had so many people tell me how good Wiley's fishing this year and how, many, how healthy the fish look and how good they look. I'm like, well, it's on its way back. It did it at Bugs. It did it at Douglas. And I actually talked to the biologist there a lot. Well, not a lot, but I talked to him about this situation. Mm -hmm. and, you know, and he just said, what did Douglas do? And then Ott, who's one of my best friends on tour, he, what did it do when it went through the virus? It just seems like the same thing. Okay. Well, it's something to investigate for sure. I think this is a great example of how anglers see something Corey and I and the rest of our biologists, we can't be everywhere all the no, time. No, you can't. And we can't necessarily draw those. But could it be? Yes. Could it be following a year class that finally dies out and then there's a couple bad year classes behind it? Correct. That could also be an issue. Correct. But, I mean, I think that kind of discussions and we can talk to our other biologists and say, hey, we this is a concern. What do you think about it? They may be able to offer some answers, and too. Even though when we say it's a concern, I don't know how much we can, because there ain't much you can do. If it's already happened, there's really nothing we and can like, do. You can't prevent it. Right. Even if we know it's coming, you can't prevent it. But what it is good is for us to understand it. Yeah. You know, sometimes it's not a, necessarily a good or a bad thing, but it's just something that we can understand so that we can explain to folks when they ask about it what's going and on. And if it's bad enough, if we need to do something to help it. You yeah. know what I'm saying? Like yeah. a lot of times it takes, it'll take care of itself and it'll recover yeah. on its own, but you can get it where it's bad enough that we might need to protect the largemouth more that yeah. are in there. Yeah. You know what I'm saying? I yeah. mean, you just don't know. So, I mean, I hadn't heard that. I'm not saying it doesn't exist. Right, That's right, not my right. point at all. It's something we need to go back and look at. Yeah. That'd be my answer to that. Just watching the tournament ways and how I keep up True. with them has worked its way down the chain. It just did. And whatever it was worked its way down the chain. And one of the, Telltale signs for me. I ain't going to say telltale signs because it sounds naive, but the catfish went from 20 pounders to 40 pounders in Wiley in mm. a couple of years. 
That's interesting. I mean, they. I got buddies that catfish, and they're like, they go down there now if they don't catch a 40-pounder. What the heck did I do wrong? Wasting their time. <laughs> <laughs> and then you read any magazine, you see these giants. They catch it. Oh, yeah. They catch it Bugs Island, which they probably a lot of factors to it. But I'm like, hmm. I wonder if them catfish got big up there when they went through the virus. Maybe. However many years oh. ago. Something to think about. Yeah, I mean, that's a whole. Well, we've already done two catfish podcasts. We're probably going to do at least two more. <laughs> but. Yeah, the catfish explosion that we're seeing right now is impressive in its own right. Yeah, that's right. They're big. They are. They're getting big for some reason. They are. I've been up at 3 o'clock in the morning too many times already certifying state records. Yeah. Yeah. They eat a lot. (laughs) Yeah. Especially if a sucker's happens to be dead, they can eat him pretty easy. (laughs) That's true. That that is true. They They don't walk away or swim away. I don't spread that. I thought about it, but. Because I know there's not much you can do. And, and then I've seen at Douglas, I've seen at Kerr, how good the fisheries are when they come back. I mean, it's a, yeah, not always, I guess, a bad thing. But So I got one more question for you. This should be an easy one. Yeah, here we go. Well, he says that, and there's been some people that have struggled with this one as right. well. We ask this of everybody, and I'll give you a little bit of license. If you can't come up with one, if you want to give me a couple, that'd be fine. But if. If we were going to drop you from a helicopter onto an island yeah. and there was a reservoir right in the middle of yeah. it and you got one bait you could bring with you. One bait. What would you take with I gotta you? I got to survive on eating them or I'm yeah. trying to have fun and catch a big one. It's going to be a plastic worm. It's going to be a plastic worm. Good deal. We've asked that a lot. I'm sure our listeners will find that very interesting. Yeah. Especially our worm fishing listeners. They'll yeah. be like, he knew it. So. Yeah. Well, you got to get the context. If I'm out there to catch them to survive, in the middle of a desert island, that worm's going to catch me more than anything else, I think. Okay. Well, just what about to catch a big one since you brought it up? Yeah, but if you drop me on there and want to have fun, it's going to be a top water. Uh, <laughs> I can't fault him there. No, yeah. no. Depends on my survival or my fun meter. <laughs> yes. Uh, yeah. Those are two different things for sure. Yeah. Well, it has been a lot of fun talking with you. I really appreciate you taking your time. I appreciate y'all, too. I, we really appreciate y'all. and. Like I said, we all got to understand we got the same common goal. Yes, sir. Appreciate it, Andy. Thank you so much for having us. Thank you. All right, guys. We're uh, backstage at the Red Crest Major League Fishing event. We're excited to have... uh, The one, the only. Mr. Kevin Van Dam. This is a big deal, and I'm sure our listeners are going to love this. Yes, absolutely. As you guys know, they're fishing Lake Norman today, and we're going to talk to Kevin about bass fishing in general. We got five or six questions, and then we're going to talk about some other exciting news that that we're working together on. I'm actually not glad to be here. I should be fishing out there in the lake, but unfortunately, I couldn't make it all happen yesterday, but we'll work in the future to make the fishing better on that lake. We got a plan. That's right. That's right. Yeah. Well, I'll just go ahead and kick it off with the first question. What are some of the issues that pose the largest threats to bass fishing, in your opinion? Well, there's several. To me, the one of the scariest things I've seen is the Asian carp. Sure. I've lived through all the other things that were supposed to be the end of the world, like gobies and zebra mussels and Eurasian milfoil and hydrilla and hot water, hyacinth, all of those invasive species as a whole. But it's not all gloom and doom, but... To me, those Asian carp, that's a scary thing because they basically take the foundational piece of the food chain out of it for the rest of it. 
and it's just biology 101. You can only have so many cows in a pasture, right? I say that a lot. Oh, wow. <laughs> Listen to that. People that have listened to this podcast have heard that exact line. Yeah. No, I mean, you know, it's such a tough balance. We all want fantastic fishing everywhere we go. I love lakes with grass, and but I also understand that in, you have to manage everything, you know, I mean, and it's hard. Like in Florida, if you don't manage the vegetation at all, it just will totally choke a lake out. Yeah. And in other places, it's every single lake is different and it's unique and it's hard to just come up with one system that works everywhere as far as for a, a management plan for whether it's aquatic vegetation or even just managing the fish themselves, you know, the different species that are in there. And that's a challenge for sure. But one of the other big things is just sheer angling pressure. We all want the sport to grow. I've worked my whole career to teach people how to fish, to get more people involved in it. And the reality of it is, is most of the public water that people fish in our country, freshwater, is, I think it's like 75% of it is core of engineers' lakes. And mm. they're not building more of them. So we've got to take care of the ones we have, the fisheries that we have. And I've been fortunate to fish all over the country. I grew up in Michigan and we're super blessed because I mean, we've got 11,000 lakes. <laughs> yeah, you got a lot of water. You go in the south and it's not that way, you know. I mean, there, you have bigger bodies of water, like Lake Norman's massive, but they're not as plentiful. You don't have the sheer volume. And people want to fish. And to have a quality fishing experience, they've got to be managed well. And that's going to be a real balance going forward into the future. But what I'm excited about is you have the state agencies, federal agencies, especially the state DNR and, you know, the managers working closer with the fishing leagues, you know, with Major League Fishing for sure, and also with bass. And we're a great resource, you know, the Major League Fishing angler data from each day, you know, the catch mm -hmm. data is soup, you know, every time when we go to a place, you catch a lot of fish, yep. you can figure out real quick, a lot of good information. And we're doing a lot of DNA testing on these larger fish, trying to see about the Floridas and you know, everybody wants to catch more and bigger fish, and it's... We hear that a lot. <laughs> I want to catch more and bigger fish. Yeah. We all do. <laughs> There's more to it than just stocking F1s in a lake. I mean, you've right. got to do it in the right amount, the right time, the right place, and they are. You know, it's making a difference in a lot of places, and that's why you see a lot of buzz behind it. And I'm excited to be part of that whole program, too, but that's a long answer to the first question, but... It's a good answer, and it's one we've heard this before, so it's kind yeah. of ringing true. It helps our listeners when they hear it because they've heard some of that, some pieces of that, that, you know, it is a blend between the managers and the anglers coming together and working to make the fisheries better overall. Yeah, it's hard to get the general public to understand what you're trying to do from a biologist standpoint and managing a fishery. And obviously, you know, we're biased, you know, it's like I'm not a big fan of stripers, for instance. Mm -hmm. And, you know, but... In the big scheme of things, you got a lot of anglers that love to catch hybrids and stripers and white bass and crappie and catfish and rainbow trout. And we work for everybody. Yeah. And that's, <laughs> that's right. I do get and understand that. The thing that has always been a pet peeve of mine personally is in a lot of states, and especially like where I live in Michigan, they spend so much money on salmon, trout, walleye, muskie, pike, and do zero stocking of bass, zero anything. They feel like the bass are self sustainable. And that's not the case. You know, even though we've got 11,000 lakes, there's some places that really could use some help and they don't get it. 
now it's a little different because you have to look at how many people fish for each species mm -hmm. to put a balance of your budget on what you're going to manage in that. And, and obviously bass fishing, you just look around this show and look at all the tournaments and things like that. It, it's a driver of the industry, of the fishing industry. So I was talking to Marty Stone yep. just this week, and we just recently did a survey in North Carolina, and the economic impact of fishing, freshwater fishing in North Carolina is almost $6 billion in yep. 2022. So with a B. With a B. That's right. Billion, not million, billion. And then if you look at the angler component of that, right? Yeah. 40% of our anglers are targeting bass, whether it be largemouth or yep. spotted bass or smallmouth. So it's a big portion. Yeah. 2.5 billion right there. Or probably more. And probably it's probably higher. more because bass anglers tend to spend more money too. Yep. So my statement to Marty was what we really need to do with that in mind, bass anglers need to, a lot of times what I find with bass anglers is they kind of fight amongst themselves. Yep. And if they would coalesce into one voice, you know, and get behind things, they could really do a lot for bass conservation across the state pretty quickly. That's what, as a collective group, we're really, you know, learning and understanding that that's the smart way to go about it. So yep. Johnny Morris is a good friend of mine mm -hmm. and he's a real mentor and he's the greatest conservationist of the modern era. He's the modern day Teddy Roosevelt and he's cares passionately about conservation for all different types of fishing mm -hmm. and yep. the outdoors, fishing oh, yeah. and hunting as a whole. But he has shown me that exact model that you have to, you can't get all the companies, our industry, all trying to do their own thing. It's better to, for everybody to pool together, to join together, work together yep. for one common goal. You're not always going to get everything you want out of it, right? But if it's a common goal that we can work together on, it's amazing how yep. far it'll go. Especially when you can have the reach that they do in mm -hmm. Washington, D.C., and that's what it takes. I mean, it goes way beyond the state level It does when you look at things that way because it is, like you said, $6 billion in North Carolina. Well, multiply that by 50 states. Yeah, and some states are bigger. Some, it, it, is adds a, up. it adds it's up It's a quick. giant, giant number, and that's something that shouldn't be taken lightly. So you've touched on it a little bit. Tell us a little bit about your foundation and the work that you're doing with your foundation. So my wife is really the, the backbone of the Kevin Van Dam Foundation. It's her idea to form it in the beginning. And we really focused originally on just basically kids fishing initiatives, youth initiatives. We've got twin boys. They were born really premature, went through a you know, pretty rough start to begin with. So we do a lot of things with our children's hospital, with the March of Dimes. We've done a lot of things with St. Jude's mm -hmm. Children's Hospital. And we also really wanted to find and provide opportunities for kids fishing camps and things, you mm -hmm. know, give them gear. You know, I can go to sponsors of mine and you know, take $1,000 and make it three times further than a camp can Yeah, to get more life jackets, to get more fishing poles, to get more baits, more hooks, you mm -hmm. know, things like that to, to do that. So we do a lot of that. We also, obviously, you've know, seen the explosion in high school and college fishing, bass fishing. Yeah. So we do college scholarships and things as well. And really because of the things that I've seen my friend Johnny Morris do, I've really gotten a lot more focused, and I think it comes with age. You know, I've been around a long time, mm -hmm. but really focused more on conservation and ensuring the future of good fishing and good management practices and, and trying to get all these different groups together. So I work a lot with a lot of different conservation groups, and I've tried to educate myself and, and learn a lot. So we're, just like this week, we're donating $10,000 from our foundation 
where it's a split 50-50 for a mossback habitat project mm-hmm. for lakes in North Carolina here. And we appreciate it. Yeah. And then also $5,000 to stock those F1s, which, you know, you guys have seen what it's done to some of these fisheries around here. And again, lakes that never had big fish, they're catching 10 pounders out of now. Yeah. And, and these Florida genetics, and it takes a lot of them, you know, to interbreed with the native bass that are there and make a, a big change. It does. And you want to put them in there when it's successful because it's expensive, right? Yeah, they're not You cheap. don't get a lot of fish for no. $5,000. Yeah, so. they're 50 cent a piece. And it takes a lot of them. Yeah, and you want to stock them at the right times of the year when the lake levels are, you know, you want to try to set them up for success. And yeah. So that's what we're trying to do and raise a lot of awareness of these programs and initiatives. And I know like Marty Stone, he's like him and I have yeah. talked and he, he is a huge advocate behind the scenes yeah. of a lot of these programs. And again, you know, you've seen the fishing improve in a lot of these lakes that it's happened and we see the success stories like at Chickamauga. And mm-hmm. obviously, Texas has done an unbelievable job as a state of managing their fisheries. And obviously, to do it on a large scale, you, it's money driven. I mean, well, no, no doubt, but yeah. it just shows what can be done. It does show what can be done. I agree. That's with why that. you guys are here, right? That's right. Is to yeah. show people what we can do and, and go about it in the smartest, most fiscally responsible way to make a difference. Yeah. I don't like seeing big government wasted money on projects that aren't necessary. We would just like to see big government money. <laughs> yeah, no, I, I hear <laughs> We wouldn't waste it if we got it. <laughs> no, but, you know, there's... <laughs> no, we understand you know, what you mean. Yeah, we get it. So you kind of touched on one thing, and, and maybe you'll bring it back up, but one of the questions we have is, what do you think are some of the best things that are happening? So we've talked about some of the negative things like invasive species. What are some of the best things that are happening in the bass fishing world right now? It's definitely some of the management practices and regulations to take care of some of these special fisheries. Mm -hmm. You know, I mean, I think Lake Fork is a great model. Mm -hmm. You see what Texas Parks and Wildlife did. They created that lake, saw it was kind of a gem, put special regulations on it, and it's still one of the best bass fisheries in the country. And you're seeing a lot more of that. Florida's doing it a lot of places Mm -hmm. where you're really looking at lakes individually in your plan. And not taking them as a group, you're taking them individually from a harvest standpoint, from a size uh, limit standpoint, from a creel. And then there's other places, you know, like, like at Lake Norman, I mean, the number of spotted bass in there, I mean, I'm sure they're probably encouraging people to keep a lot of those smaller fish. We are. That's exactly what we're doing with Alabama bass or spotted bass in our state. Our biggest issue. Well, there's a couple issues with those fish is that. One, they just overpopulate really, really rapidly. And so if you don't harvest it, you won't get any kind of quality fish out of it. It'll just sink to these little tiny fish. And you've seen some of that this week. I mean, there's... No, 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 no. You got to understand, I fished Lake Norman for the very first time in 1992. And it is different from then, for sure. It's it's (laughs) night and day way better. Yeah, But, you know, you get outside of Lake Norman... And what we're losing, we're losing smallmouth bass fisheries in the West. They're going to disappear because of Alabama bass. Yeah. And we're losing some pretty good, not losing largemouth fisheries, but they're going to be a lot lower than they once were as you move northeast of here. If Alabama bass had only stayed in Lake Norman, eh, you know, it probably wouldn't have been that big a deal. But the spread of that fish outside of that has been pretty detrimental to our state anyway. Yeah, it's hard for people to understand that. But it's real. Yeah. I've seen that transition. And Lake Norman's in a good place right now. I think it's got a good balance. 
But the biggest problem there is habitat. There's Tell a us. lack of. <laughs> Tell us. We know. The best way, you know, and it's unfortunate, the best way to ensure great fishing is by using the water lake levels to control. Yeah. During the spawn, that's how you get great recruitment is you got to let the water levels fluctuate somewhat. Fish need water. Fish need water, which is a big thing on our podcast. Yeah. We tell yeah. people all the time fish need water. But what I would tell people is the Wildlife Commission doesn't control the lake levels, unfortunately. Yeah. Well, the landowners, you look around Lake Norman and look at all those multi-million dollar houses there yeah. and they're not going to want to see hydrilla around the Yeah, habitat's and, pretty tough at Lake Norman for yeah. sure. We've tried it and it's been very difficult. It's not that we don't keep trying. It's just we have to think outside the box and try different things for sure. Yeah, you know, water willow would be a great addition there, you oh, know, yeah. to be helpful. And We've planted it um, probably a hundred times or more there and it just never makes it because of wake boats. Wake yeah. boats just uproot it before we can ever get it established. That is very concerning to me and I'm not trying to be detrimental to any one uh, group or aspect, but where I live in Michigan, we've got a lot of small lakes mm-hmm. and those wakeboard boats are wreaking havoc on the shorelines and these small, I mean, on a lake that on a 50 mile an hour wind day could never get waves that one of those can yeah, make. Yeah, they can put out some waves. I mean, that's what they're built for. Yeah. yeah. And so that's a challenge that I don't know how you get around that. Yeah, that's one of the things as managers, we have to contemplate and think about moving into the future, you know, because technology changes, boats change electronics change, you know, there's all kinds of things that change that you yep. got to think about and adapt to. And unfortunately, a lot of times we might be a little slow to adapt to that. So we got to be kind of out front of it yep. sometimes for sure. All right. I'm going to ask a simple question real quick, because I think our listeners will be really interested in this, but I'm going to change it a little bit because I know you fish all over the place. So what is your favorite lake in North Carolina? And then just maybe what is your favorite lake in general? I think everybody would be interested in that. Well, I've actually fished a lot of lakes in North Carolina and my favorite lake I would say would be Jordan. Gotcha. Amen, brother. It's strong right now too. <laughs> it's impressive. Brother. The quality of the fish in there and the forage base. It's a fish factory. It truly is. And it is just a special one the way it lays out. It's got a ton of that 20 foot. It's got a ton of flat. Right. 10 to 20 mm-hmm. foot water in it. Yeah. And a lot of places that they can I call it sanctuary part of the lake, you know, in the spring. And part of why it's good is I'm, you know, water gets up in the bushes, helps them for the spawn, helps the shad, crappie, you know, everything. Yeah. Yeah. So that one's really good. I like falls a lot too. Mm. Yep. Early spring lake. It's a great early spring lake. It sets up well for my style. So it's pretty interesting. But I like Lake Norman a lot because it's vast and it's a pattern lake. You can move around it. It didn't work out great for me this week, but. That's not the fault of the lake or, or the fish. That one was on me. I had plenty of opportunities, so um, I'd give anything to be out there. But it is a dynamic fishery for sure. It's full of fish. Oh, yeah. Yeah. No, that's great. That's very interesting. We just talked a minute ago about how Falls is a shad factory. So yep. here it is again. Yep. So. so I'm going a little off script. Do you ever get tired of it? Do you ever get tired of fishing? No, I don't. That's what I do when I'm... Another amen, brother. <laughs> I do not get tired of fishing. I do not get tired of fishing. It's kind of deep in your bones, right? Yeah, you never re- can I announced it. that I'm retiring from tournaments after this season, and I'll be fishing as much and busy as, you know, I'm going to be doing a lot of 
production work, filming, things like that. Yeah. Uh, you know, just again, I've tried to be a great ambassador for fishing and conservation for a long time. And, and I'm going to continue to do that with a more flexible schedule. You know, the greatest part about being a tournament angler is you get to go and experience a lot of these lakes that you never would if you didn't weren't forced to on the tournament schedule. Sure. Like I'd have never gone to Jordan yeah. or falls if we didn't put it out. You know, we went there for heavy hitters and yeah. Yeah. it's like, wow, this is, you know, a hidden gem. Yeah. You know? Marty and I were talking about yeah. that. Randleman's another one I got to go to yeah. do, uh, oh. some years ago, yeah. right after just a few years after it opened, I did sure. a show there. Yeah. And, you know, I mean, that's a little gem too, yeah. you know? There's little pockets all over the state that are kind of hidden that people, some of them are really small that people don't know about that people ask me like best bass lakes in the state. I'm like, man, if you go here, it's going to be awesome. I mean, because people just don't know about them, you know? Yeah. yeah we're real lucky right now. We're kind of riding a wave of good bass populations throughout the state. So one other question we have is you talk to folks all the time, but you may or may not get a chance to talk to biologists. So do you have a question for us or anything that you want us to know about or us to think about? I'll be honest with you. For a long time, I didn't have much confidence in a lot of the biologists that I talked to. And that has really changed in the last 10 years or so, I'd say. And that's because early in my career, biologists didn't care much for tournament fishermen or they didn't believe. I mean, I can tell you this, that you put a national level event like a Bass Pro Tour event on your lake. We can tell in a week's time what state your fishery's in. We can tell a lot about a fishery a lot quicker than a biologist can with an electroshock boat. You know, I mean, it's just, you get a, a feel and a pulse for it. And biologists never really thought much of tournament anglers as a tool mm -hmm. in the past. And I think that's the biggest change that I've seen where now it's like every bit of information is valuable, right? Mm -hmm. If you want to make a good decision, it's about having all the info, yep. as much data points as the you can have. The best picture you can get is what yep. you exactly. need. Yep. And that's where seeing anglers and biologists come together like they never really have before in organized groups. I've seen it in Michigan. You know, we used to have a closed season on bass. It didn't open until Memorial weekend and closed in December. And it took a lot of work and a lot of effort from a lot of anglers and working with biologists who now we have year round catch and release. So we still have a yep. closed season for possession, mm -hmm. you know, for tournaments or to be able to keep bass and eat them or whatever mm -hmm. people want to do, but we have year round catch and release. So yeah. it's opened up so many more opportunities for anglers and that would have never happened if the two sides didn't get together and put the time and effort in the work to prove the theory that it would not be detrimental to the fisheries. Yeah. That's one of the things we talk about a lot is that the more anglers, whether it be tournament anglers or just general anglers, yep. will talk to us and we will talk to them and we'll listen. Both sides will listen. The more we'll learn together yep. and the better it will be in the long run. Absolutely. That's how we look at We've it. We've already talked earlier about how we need to work together. Yep. I mean, that just kind of sums it up. Yeah. Once more that, you know, we're all in the same the boat. The better the relationship is between the angler groups, you know, clubs and tournament organizations and that it's smart to work together. Yeah. We all want the same goals in the end and it's the smartest way to, to get there. Yeah. So our last question is if you were basically put on an island and you only could have one lure to go catch, we ask this to everybody, <laughs> only one lure to go catch fish. In 
Your name's on a bunch of lures. Your name's yeah. on a bunch of lures. I don't know if you knew that, but your name's <laughs> on a bunch of lures. I work pretty hard at that. Yeah. What would that be? Well, if I was on an island at... An island with a reservoir on it. An island with yeah. a reservoir on <laughs> Oh, boy. Full of bass. It Full just bass. depends on the habitat. <laughs> you want to give us top two, three? Tell me the lake and I'll tell you the lure. <laughs> well, we're on Lake Norman. Let's go with that. If we're on Lake Norman, I'm probably going to have to tell you I got to have a jerk bait. I get that. I figured that was coming. That's a good year round. You could always catch them there on it. But, you know, I mean, fortunately, we don't have to do that. I got a boatload full of tackle. That's and right. I can use whatever it takes. <laughs> you don't want to have a favorite lure. You want to use what the conditions and the time of the year dictate. I agree with that. They're just tools. Exactly. Yep. They're just tools. That's exactly what they are. That's the take-home message in that question. Yeah. We really appreciate you being with us and can't thank you enough. I know you got a busy day and a busy weekend. People are texting me here at the expo already. So, yeah, it's going to be fun. It looks like it. I mean, it show just opened a little bit ago yeah. and it's already packed. Yeah, it's got a bunch of people here already. Thanks so much for having us. A lot of fishing folks in this area. So, you guys keep doing the work. All right. Thank you so much. <laughs> thank you. See you guys. So, folks, we're back once again doing a bit of a wrap-up to all the anglers that we've interviewed and the time that we've had at Redcrest. It's just been an awesome event. I can't thank Major League Fishing enough for giving us the opportunity to be here. Their fisheries management division has been awesome. They've lined up folks to come up on the podcast and talk to us. We've had Kevin Van Dam, Gary Klein, Wesley Strader, Andy Montgomery, and you'll hear others. My mind's going blank because I'm so busy, <laughs> but we just had a great time. We've done seminars here and it's just been really, really awesome. If you get chance to go to events like this, if you get chance to go to Redcrest or you get chance to go to places like the Bassmaster Classic or something of that nature, and you're a fishing fan, you ain't even got to be a bass fan. Just be a fishing fan. You'll be surprised at the number of people, one, but two, just the overall interest in fishing and how popular it is how much money people spend on fishing. I mean, it's crazy nuts, dude. These it's, boats and these motors and this gear, and I'm rambling. I'm sorry. What do you think, so Ben? To me, the take-homes from it, one, awesome opportunity. I feel like I'm part of the Major League Fishing family. They welcomed the Wildlife Commission yes. in, rolled out the red carpet for us, and really made us part of the event. You know, we gave seminars. We did pro interviews. You know, I didn't know I was going to meet KVD himself. Yeah. Gave us money. Yeah. <laughs> I mean, Kevin Van Dam gave us twice. money. Twice. Twice. Gave us money. Gave the Wildlife Commission funds yep. for conservation twice. So huge thank you for that. One of the coolest things about it, though, was, you know, we're sitting across the table from professional bass fishermen, and it was no different than talking to an angler in a tackle store somewhere. Yeah, it was just like talking to a friend. Right. I mean, really and truly, they're seemingly they might not be but in the short time we got to spend with at least them, made me feel that way yeah they were very humble they were willing to talk to us they'd ask us great questions i think you've heard that on the podcast of all the people that we've interviewed they really did have good questions but what you heard were some very similar thoughts about conservation and about working together and about the things that we can do collectively both anglers biologists industry together to kind of move fishing conservation and bass conservation forward over the next 10 years to 20 years. Oh, yeah. It was a great event. Our biologists had an opportunity to get up on stage and give kind of seminars or open to form discussions about various bass fishing topics. And not to mention we had a, a giant booth. We got to hang out with South Carolina as well in their booth and 
Well, I mean, our booth was bigger. Our booth was bigger. But they did a great <laughs> job, too. It was good to network with other biologists and see what they're seeing. It was even better to sit there and be available to talk to bass fishing so public. So many people that came by. Just amazing yeah. amount of discussions we had. So. Yeah. It's been great. And so hopefully y'all have enjoyed these podcasts because we really enjoyed recording them. We thank Major League Fishing and all the anglers that came on the podcast. And Kevin Van Dam. And Kevin Van Dam. Two big checks, literally in size and amount. So yeah, they were very large checks in size and amount. And so... We just can't thank them enough for what they've done, and we really appreciate it, and hope y'all enjoyed listening to it. Thank you for listening to the North Carolina Wildlife Resources Commission's podcast, Better Fishing with Two Ball Biologists. For more information, please visit ncwildlife.org or email us at twoballedbiologist at ncwildlife.org.